Over the past 20 years, the United Kingdom has endured a lot. We've seen epidemics, a global pandemic, the 2008 financial crisis, we've been in and out of wars, and also taking the decision to cleave ourselves away from the European Union. The UK Labour Party has also found itself voted out of government and struggling electorally. Amidst all of this, there is one constant, the Welsh Labour Party. The party has been governing Wales in one form or another for the best part of 20 years. Wales has returned a majority of Labour MPs to Westminster for well over 100 years. Come hell or high water, through thick and thin, the Welsh public trust and back the Welsh Labour Party. I think the UK Labour Party could learn a lot from Welsh Labour. And in this series, I'll be speaking to figures from across Welsh politics and the Welsh Labour movement to begin to understand why Welsh Labour wins. In today's episode, I'm joined by the former First Minister, Carwin Jones. We discuss his time at the very top of Welsh politics, the relationship between the two parties, as well as the politics of place, identity and culture. I read, you know, I was doing kind of my, my my research for this interview and I was, you know, I did my dissertation on on like Welsh Labour and it was, you know, I did all right in the dissertation, by the way. It was it was OK. But I, I heard you once described as a, a lucky general in an article in the, in the Guardian. I think it was Richard Wynne Jones wrote it and that, you know, you'd faced opposition that, you know, I, you know, with the greatest respect to, you know, your counterparts in the Senate. It, you know, it's not necessarily of the of the same kind of quality as it is at the UK level. The Tory the Tory machine in Wales is is not the same animal as it is at a UK level. So if we're to be a bit critical in a minute, if you think about you know your your record of of of, you know, of winning elections and governing, how how would you kind of respond to the charge that maybe the opponents that you've been up against haven't haven't been all that? And that's why Welsh Labour's continue to succeed is because the opposition just isn't great. I mean, I know famously Artie Davis has been described as a gift. Well, it, to use a sporting analogy, you can only play what's in front of you. And I'd argue particularly 2011 was, that was a, a, an easier election. We come off the back of the referendum, far easier. 2016 was tough. You know, that was a tough election. Uh, and we were up against the Tory, London, the London Tory machine. In the 2016 election there's no question about that they, they were running the show in 2016 they were coming for us they they trumpeted they'd done all that in 2015 with the um with the election you know what they'd done you know, attacking our, our nhs so you know i'd argue that you know, it's not simply the case of when we take on the tories you take on the tories in all their might and they are a mighty machine no question about it they've got almost all the newspapers they've got lots of money and taking them on is difficult they're a huge megaphone that they could use and yet they keep on failing to win you know before the election in 2016 the Tory briefings to the media, going back to me, were all about, you know, well, we think we're going to be the largest party. And they did the same thing again in 2021. Again, so 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 I heard back from uh, people I know in the media. So, you know, it, it, it isn't simply the case, you know, I leave others to judge about the quality of the opposition. From my perspective, it was tough. It was tough. 2016 was a particularly tough election. You know, we it happened to be the case. Yes, there's always lucky mod. But it happened to be the case that you know the votes fell in the right places for us. But coming back to the point I made earlier, if people felt you were doing a bad job, they just wouldn't vote for you in the first place. They would vote for another party, and that's not happening. Yet. And you know, people don't people don't vote blindly. You know, if they thought that that um, they were being shortchanged, they wouldn't vote for you. 
you know, yes, there is a sense of loyalty where people have voted for a particular party for generations, but there is a limit to that loyalty, especially in the world we live in now. Uh, and that means you have to work even harder to win elections. So you, you mentioned that the record and governing the country and obviously, you know, being building that trust with with people across Wales and their communities is, is you know, instrumental to Welsh Labour winning. Coming at it from the kind of opposite angle, when you think at a UK level is there are people who are kind of turning 18 now, you know, there are people coming into their political maturity, there are people growing up who don't remember much of the last Labour government. You know, I was 11 years old when I watched Gordon Brown leave Downing Street sort of thing. It's, 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 an, it's another era. Is there any kind of pathway to the UK Labour Party rebuilding that kind of trust? Or is it something that has to be like, you know, completely won once you've actually got into government again? No, you have to build it beforehand. So I remember 18 years of Tory government. <laughs> We're not at that, uh, that level yet, thankfully. I hope we won't get to that level. At a time, you know, 83, disastrous election for us. You know, we were mile, almost came third, miles away from government. It took another two elections, another two elections to become credible and another election to win. So you have to do this. We're not in that position. I don't think I don't think we're in that bad a position, incidentally. But what we do need is a good alternative program. You know, people in opposition, you you have a luxury and you can keep on attacking the government, but you also have to pr- propose a program of for yourselves. And that's what played in '97. There was a program in place. There was there were messages in place. People were, were, were waiting for it. They wanted to change, and that does come. People, you know, inevitably, people think, well, you know, let's give the other lot a chance. That that's just human nature. We've not been able to do that so far because of the pandemic. Is the reality of it? All we've been able to do is to question the UK government on what it, all Westminster did. What all our colleagues at Westminster rather have been able to do is to question the UK government over its response to the pandemic. But they haven't been able to be the front foot because of the, the circumstances. As we come out of the pandemic, and I think as Brexit starts to create problems particularly, then there are the opportunities to create an alternative narrative. Uh, I'm afraid we're gonna have to be uh, just patient because the last year and a half, the reality is it was always gonna be very difficult to, you know, to, to, to create that sense of momentum that existed in the 90s that led eventually to a, you know, a huge labor win. The, the kind of Brexit situation is gonna unravel in a kind of, in a, in a certain way or a little bit, you know, it. it we're a little bit uncertain in terms of, you know, the specific implications and how people are going to react to them. But like kind of gut feelings in terms of the narrative that, you know, w- we can start to build moving into the next election to try and win back those Brexit votes. So it's Brexit voters, by the way, in the last Senate election that, you know, Welsh Labour, you know, basically, like, I can't remember the specific data that came out of Cardiff, but they said, you know, won over like enough of them, basically, and retained enough of them. They came back to Labour that, it, you know, they kept the coalition together, essentially. What What is, you know, the kind of gut instinct in terms of forging that narrative, you know, in, in England? Well, I think that the, I think we have to, well, first, the, to, first of all, right, the pandemic has to be over. Secondly, we then have to see, I mean, Brexit will, will, will play out badly. You know, it's still, the, 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 the deal is a mess. I mean, I'm in Belfast now, right? The deal is a mess as far as Northern Ireland is concerned, as I knew it would be and pointed out at the time. There are all these things that are going to unravel. Boris Johnson doesn't do detail. Uh, and saying that he doesn't agree with parts of the protocol in Northern Ireland is a bit like saying, well, I didn't read it in the first place, or I read it and didn't bother to think what the consequences might be, in which case he's not fit to be Prime Minister, in my view. Then there is the opportunity to create that narrative. You know, actually, there's a better way than this. I, I'm not saying we should, we should say let's rejoin the EU, but we can create that narrative that there are other 
ways of dealing with Brexit that are less harmful than what we have at the moment. And then we can start talking about, about rebuilding the country. I mean, the only is in 2017, our manifesto was popular. You know, we didn't win the election, but it certainly, you know, it, it did engage and enthuse a lot of people. And I think there are lessons there for us. We do need that kind of radical manifesto. People are people are fed up with what they see as forces that they have no control over, and the government has no control over, destroying their lives. And I'm afraid it was something that we saw even under you know, the, the Labour government of, of Tony Blair. We saw lots of industries closed down. The assumption was, and it was you know, not untrue, that other jobs would come along and replace those industries. And, and that, that, was, that was true if you look at the statistics. But the effect on communities quite often wasn't properly realised. And there are communities out there who are saying, you know, no one knows, no party, no, no one's looked out for us. We like this idea of levelling up. Let's see what happens. We'll stick with the Tories to see what happens. And I think that's where those people are. I don't think they're natural Tories. I don't think they particularly share Tory values. They're not free marketeers. They're not people who want to run, to let the, um, you know, to, to, to let laissez-faire uh, run riot. That's not what they want. They actually want greater government control over the economy. That's the irony of it. And that's what really create created that sense amongst people that they wanted to have more control of their own lives which actually do the brexit vote you know the number of people said to me they weren't were interested in europe particularly but it was a protest vote for them against globalization they didn't put it that way you know they but a protest vote against the fact that jobs had been lost in their community and this was their protest against a against a an organization that was very 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 remote that was, was over the sea you know in brussels and that's where we are people People do actually want more government intervention, not less. And this is going to be a real problem for the Tories. Their instinct is to be free marketeers. Their instinct is to is, is, is not to be interventionist. But that is not what these new voters expect of them. And the Tories will start to pull themselves apart over that. And that also will be an opportunity for us. Right, if you read the papers, you can already see the kind of tensions kind of and, you, you know, you can see the, the seeds of the unravelling of the current coalition. You think, well, Boris Johnson, someone who basically doesn't have an ideology beyond kind of just, you know, the the ideology of the self, essentially, you know, his... his, yeah, his... Boris Johnson is an empty glass. Yeah. Whatever you pour into that glass is what you get. When he was mayor of London, he was surrounded by you know, liberal thinkers, and he, would have, he was a liberal mayor of London. He's now surrounded by right-wingers, and so he's a right-winger. I mean, he's mm. got no... There's nothing in his head that, that isn't put there by someone else. And, um, you know, you can definitely see, you know, the kind of for you know want of this you know massive majority that they've now got you can see the you know the problems now forming and i think you know you're definitely right to say that in terms of it's going to have implications for the coalition because even though someone like rishi sunak who is insufferably popular by the way in terms of <laughs> in terms of the fact that he's just been you know the cause of many problems that we faced over the past you know 18 months or so but is still talked up as as this kind of great figure but he is a convent like you say he's, he's one of those kind of conventional conservatives he's one of those he's you know an honest to god thatcherite isn't he and you think well you've just come off a situation where you're paying everyone's wages it's it's going to be hard to hard to unpick and hard to you know keep hold of these people when you're you know slashing the economy and i, I think you know you talk to a lot of people and, and certainly in england where you think where cuts have hit hardest in local authorities and you think well what could what more could they cut in terms of you know actual kind of the functioning of the, the state and I, I you know certainly it's a, it's a scary time to to kind of think about that but kind of move on from you know de like depressing myself about the kind of state of England as it were as we kind of like wrap up now I think um one quick fire question that I'm just kind of curious about is obviously the Welsh Labour Party the Scottish Labour Party have existed as kind of defined entities 
with their own amount of power, you know, relative yeah. to the situation. So they existed. I'm right. I was thinking they existed prior to devolution, right? Not in the same way. No, you, you had. I mean, at one time you had the Welsh, the Wales Regional Council of Labour, which became just before the '99 election, well, for the '97 referendum. It was Labour Party Wales at that point. There was resistance to using the name Welsh Labour. Actually, you know, there, there was. You know, I, I had said to me. Scottish Labour was standing candidates under the Scottish Labour banner. We weren't. We were standing candidates under the Labour banner. And I remember having a discussion about what well, we should do the same thing. And I, there was some reluctance about it. You know, people saying to me, well, you know, people might think that we're only a party for Welsh speakers. I, mean, I don't, you know, well, the Welsh rugby team is made up of Welsh speakers, is it? But seriously, that was said to me. Somehow we, our appeal would only be to people who had a particular sense of identity. We wouldn't be able to appeal to people who didn't, who didn't feel particularly strongly Welsh, which is a bit odd, but, you know, we got there. Got there in the and, it's been, and it's been a successful brand. You know, if you if you want to use a if you want to use that word a brand, perhaps it's the wrong word to use, a successful message. And Welsh Labour now is as autonomous as it needs to be in my mind. You know, people say, why not have a separate party? Well, my response is we're utterly autonomous when it comes to policy. We run our own rule book, but we do have the advantage of having all those back office functions like HR, like IT run from London you know why would we want the expense of doing all that when actually it makes more sense for us to be part of of the of a larger organization administratively you know, why have our own membership um, system when we can point this as long as we've got autonomy to develop our own things and our own policy that's what we need as a party surely yeah I mean it's kind of like a weird like parallel in terms of you know um the kind of like where Wales's relationship with the union in the sense of like you know the you, you've got like certain things that you want, you definitely want devolved, you want to devolve more, but like you want a kind of spine that binds everything together. It's it's kind of neat in that way. But the question I was going to ask um, pertains to England is the, is the fact that you haven't actually got, there is no English Labour Party, so to speak. And that that may be because obviously we don't have, you know, a specifically English Parliament. The English Parliament we do have is, is the one in Westminster and devolution is you know, a patchwork to say, you know, to say the least in England. Is there any merit to the idea of a specifically English Labour Party? Or is it just kind of like, would it just serve kind of like, you know, defining areas in people's minds so people stop like treading on the toes of devolution? The problem is that England doesn't have a political structure. It doesn't have a legislature. It doesn't have a government. It it doesn't have anything beyond sports teams that are are English. Uh, And it's quite odd because England in that sense is the most left behind nation in the UK. Uh, as far as the party's concerned, we still have this odd situation where we have the, you know, we have an NEC, we have national conference, even though, you know, for most delegates in Wales and Scotland, most of the stuff is irrelevant. So, you know, I'll be, I enjoy it. I enjoy going there, I enjoy the fringes, I enjoy, you know, that, so I enjoy the event. But in terms of what's debated on the floor, much of it is irrelevant. You know, the, the, yes, of course, the UK-wide stuff uh, is relevant, but any debates on health and education passes all by in Wales. So, again, the party needs to think about whether it has an English conference to decide policy for England. It's not the case that you know, there's resistance to it. I just don't think people have thought about it or have elements of the of the national conference that actually is at England specific. You know, there we have still delegates in our national conference, potentially from Wales, potentially voting on English policies. You know, it's it's a strange scenario in that sense. So I think the party will in time need to think about how probably how national conference evolves uh, an English element. I put it that way. So there'll be certain days, that, you know, days, days for English policy. I think that's really the neatest way of doing it. Uh, and then, otherwise, the, otherwise the national conference becomes quite small, actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's the easiest way of doing it. I mean, already, you know, it's difficult to attract Scottish delegates to to the NEC because you know you're asking people to travel from Scotland to Brighton and discuss things that are mainly not relevant to them. 
So you know, it, it is it is an issue the party's going to have to address. We've certainly got a kind of you know like a patchwork arrangement with things. I remember you know, a couple of years ago, kind of amusingly mentioned Cornwall at the top of the episode. Um, there was a motion to, to create a specifically Cornish Labour Party, which uh, I was very disappointed. I, I've, I've a, I have a friend who is a like a, a proud devolutionist, a proud Welsh national. Like, he describes himself as a Welsh nationalist in the Labour Party, comfortable in the Labour Party. And that's you know one of the one of the great things about the late of the Welsh Labour Party is it's broad church in that regard. And um, he told me with with a lot of glee that he voted that motion down, and I'll, I'll never forgive him. He will remain <laughs> nameless though. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, that's that's going to be my personal project for the next 40 years, and that will definitely turn me grey at some point. But um, moving on from, and, and and wrapping up now, about um, and moving on from my, you know, uh, parochial obsessions with, with you know, Cornish nationalism, do you have any, like, closing thoughts? If Because our, our, our listeners are basically all English. Um, I think, you know, I looked at the analytics, it's 80% in England. If there's one final lesson that you'd like them to take away in terms of what Welsh Labour has done and what Welsh Labour has continued to do in, in in order to be able to win what would it be genuineness is the word i'd use you have to come over as genuine honest uh, in touch with communities that's really really important and we have the people to do that we we have a front bench and we have mps who are really you know, strongly embedded in the communities that they represent the tories have a, a front bench made up from people from a very very small pool of people who have very little connection with the communities that they represent. That's where we have to go. Say to people, we are like you, we've got your interests, you know, we have we live your lives. And that's where we're better able to represent you. you know, when I was first minister, you know, I used to wander around, you know, pretend where I represented, shopping on a Saturday and so on. And people, you know, it was just normal. I'd wander, I'd go watch a little rugby team play. I didn't change my life in any way, but and it wasn't it wasn't for show because I used to do that before anyway. <laughs> you know, so that's what we have to do. You know, say to people, we are we are the party that is most like you, most reflective of you, and most likely to help you improve your lives. Owen Jones, thank you. You can say thank you now. Sorry, I'm no, sorry. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> I'm sorry, the other media they always start trying to do that. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Review Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please feel free to share it on the social media platform of your choice. It helps the show out massively. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask us, you can at us on Twitter, at SockReviewPod, email us, SockReviewPod at gmail.com, or leave a response to the Google form that you can find on our Twitter. Our music is The Dance by Kyle Cox, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic rest of the day.